Hello again, everybody. Today, we'll reiterate that masks don't work, but do have harms. The RT-PCR test was exploited, too, by the WHO. Lockdowns are cementing in Canada with Dave Cullen discussing these lockdowns. What is the agenda? Well, James Corbett discusses this with Thaddeus Russell. This and more on this episode of uh, the broadcast. Hello again, everybody. Uh, Jason Powers here from West Lafayette, Indiana. So there's a lot to discuss today. I don't know how I've kind of gone about this with um, masks and lockdowns and whatnot. I think we can start with first with the face mask. Uh, There was a study that was published. uh, This was in January of 2021. It was actually published online on November 22nd of 2020. And it was written by Baruch uh, Van Vandelschbaum. I can't pronounce his last name. It's spelled V A I N S H E L B O I M. So, uh, however you pronounce that, I'm 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 not gonna pretend to do that. Now, before you say, why should I listen to this guy? Well, okay. So he's published four articles in 2021. He published 10 in 2020. He's published 15 in 2019. And uh, going back, his first article was published in 2012. So um, he has 55 total results according to Public uh, uh, PubMed. And his article was published in uh, the NIH's uh, database. So he's he's published in various journals and uh, uh, medical hypotheses expert in uh, respiratory medicine, um, the European Journal for Physical Rehabilitation Medicine, uh, Lung, Internal Journal of Cardiology, uh, Sports Health Science, uh, the British Medical Journal, Open Respiratory, um, I, I can't get the final word on that, and the American Journal for uh, Preventative Medicine. 
So he's publishing a lot, and these are just the top ten. So the reason why I'm going down that road is to first I'm I'm laying out his credentials, and he's the only he's the only author on this. So he's from uh, Stanford a University. He works for Veterans Affairs in the Palo Alto Healthcare uh, System. So I'm I'm laying out, you know, I know this is it would be considered an appeal to expertise, but uh, he did an entire study on this. One of the the more interesting thing is um, there's a line in here, for example. This is confirmed by the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases from U.S. stating the overall clinical consequences of COVID-19 are similar to that of a severe seasonal influenza. Uh, that's a, a, cit- a citation five, having a case fatality rate of approximately 0.1%. And if you go to citation five, the first name you'll see is uh, Anthony Fauci on there. And Redfield is on there, and it says navigating the. Un- and this was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in uh, 2020 on page. Um, the journal number was 382, and the pages was uh, 1268 to 1269. So, anyway, he goes through about breathing physiology, which is important. So, a line from here at the the outset, the first the the topic sentence. Breathing is one of the most important physiological functions to sustain life and health. Human body requires a continuous and adequate oxygen, O2 supply, uh, to all organs and cells for normal function and survival. This is obvious, obvious to all of us, of course. So, and then breathing is also an essential process for removing metabolic byproducts, carbon dioxide, CO2, occurring during cell respiration. It is well established that acute significant de- deficit in O2, uh, hypoxema, hy- hypo I'm probably butchering that, but in increased levels of CO2 hypercapnia, even for a few minutes, can be severely harmful and lethal, while chronic hypoxemia and hypercapnia can cause health deterioration acerbation of existing conditions, morbidity, and ultimate mortality. So it says emergency medicine demonstrates that five to six minutes of severe hypoxemia during cardiac arrest will cause brain death with extreme poor survival rates. So on the other hand, chronic mild or moderate hypoxemia and hypocapnia such as from wearing face masks, result in shifting to higher contribution of anaerobic energy metabolism, decrease in pH levels. So if you're decreasing your pH levels, your blood's becoming more uh, acidic and increase in or potentially acidic because your your pH levels, depending upon where they're at, I mean, you have to get below 7 to get your pH levels uh, into the acid level. And increases in cell and blood acidity. It says increases in cells and blood acidity, toxicity, oxidative stress, chronic inflammation, immunosuppression, and health deterioration. So that's just one. That's that's that goes to the breathing. So if you're interrupting someone's breathing using a mask, you're obviously doing something harmful to yourself. And considering most people don't wear them right, and they're um, if he goes to the efficacy, he goes through the entire process of laying this all out. Now, I'm not going to read this entire study because 
but he did do an, a meta-analysis of 44 non-RCT studies. There were 25,000 participants in, in this. And he goes through this, and even the, he even points out what the WHO has stated before about face masks are not required as no evidence is available on the usefulness to protect non-sick persons. Exactly. So physiological effects of wearing a mask, there's, there's physiological and psychological effects. And there's a table we put together, it's called Table 1. And the physiological effects, uh, effects uh, let me spit that out, uh, hypoxemia, hypercapnia, shortness of breath, in, increase uh, lactate concentration, decline in pH levels, acid, uh, acidosis, toxicity, inflammation, self-contamination, increase in stress hormones like adrenaline, uh, noradrenaline, and cortisol, which of course is an, an important aspect of people's, uh, uh, I guess you could call it their, their biochemistry, increased muscle tension and immunosuppression. And the psychological effect, activation of fight or flight response, chronic stress condition, fear, mood disturbances, insomnia, fatigue, compromised cognitive performance, which seems to be uh, rampant across our, our country and our world, and the health consequences, increased predis- predisposition for viral and infect- infection illnesses, headaches, anxiety, depression, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, Acerbation of existing conditions and diseases, accelerated aging process, health deterioration, premature mortality. Doesn't sound like a lot of uh, nice things that can come from uh, doing this because the psychological effects, obviously, uh, it's like a feedback mechanism. If you're chronically uh, in the fight or flight response, that's going to increase your cortisol levels, which... um, and there's going to be a differential here between men and women. For example, uh, women have uh, less, um, uh, they just, their adrenal systems are more sensitive to uh, fight or flight. Uh, they get triggered more easily uh, in terms of, of that. And so when they're wearing, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask and how they perceive other people around them uh, based upon their, it's just based upon biology uh, they uh, they will have a response, and uh, when someone is put under an undue amount of stress levels, uh, they're gonna re- they're gonna react in different ways than than they would have under normal circumstances. So there's where you get the I would call it the Karen syndrome, uh, because women have have taken to the taken to these masks in in some respects I would say at a greater level than uh, men have. That doesn't mean that men ha- there aren't some highly um, antagonistic men out there. Just, just, just there is a probably more of a differential that way. And we know women are more. Um, uh, if you look at the Ocean personality test, uh, neuro, um, they're more neurotic, and they're more easily uh, they're more likely to go along with the agreeableness of this. Um, this is what's being exploited against us by the powers that be. And when I say the powers that be, the people that are pushing this agenda uh, almost from the outset and from the get-go. So moving on to 
there's a, a citation. I'm leaving all the links in the description of this uh, podcast. So the WHO confirms that the COVID-19 PCR test is flawed. Estimates of positive cases are meaningless. The lockdown has no scientific basis. Um, there's just a the WHO is the the World Health Organization is run by China. It is. It just that's just. Uh, when I say run by China, it, it China has an inordinate amount of influence over it, uh, along with Bill Gates. Bill Gates would be the, I guess you could say, I would call Bill Gates the soft glove over Xi's hand. Uh, he's the he's meant to provide the provide the quote unquote uh, the 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 soft touch, even though he isn't necessarily if you get beyond his. Uh, uh, soft wool sweaters and all his media performances, whether it be online, whether it be with uh, Stephen Colbert or Nora O'Donnell or MSNBC or any of these other outlets. I mean, he's been making the circuit since you know March. Uh, he 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 um, left uh, Microsoft on March 13th, which was two days after the uh, the WHO had uh, initiated the the lockdown agenda. So, uh, this entire article is left in the, uh, left in the description. You can read through it and, and, and determine it, but invalid num data and numbers game. It should be understood that these invalid estimates are numbers quoted relentlessly 24 seven by the media in the course of the first, first wave and second wave, which have been used to fear, to feed the fear campaign and justify all the policies put forth by the governments lockdown, closure of economic activity, poverty and mass employment, bankruptcies, social distancing, face mask, curfew, the vaccine, the health passport. Um, so the thing is, is they've been using this data over and over again, the positive cases. And of course, the cases are being driven by the PCR, which depending upon the number of cycles, and it doesn't test for the villa. I mean, the thing is, is it, it isn't actually testing it doesn't even even a, a positive test even under the right cycles doesn't test anything because the PCR test is testing remnants of uh, ostensibly a DNA slice uh, from your your body or an RNA or however that is uh, worked out, but it's t testing a snippet that is being uh, amplified over and over and over again. That's what the cycles are. So it's testing that snippet. And that particular snippet could be dead cells, dead dead remnants. So even if you tested positive, you're testing positive for something that's been long left behind by your your uh, your immune system, or however you want to uh, attribute that. Like I said, I'm not I'm not going to pretend to be a biologist here, or an immunologist, or a virologist, but I understand the basic concept of what's going on here. So. Um, you may not have an active disease whatsoever. It's just testing, testing that you may have had some contact with this particular um, sequence of, of DNA. It doesn't test the whole the whole thing. It's just testing a snippet that happens to align with this particular virus. So it's not accurate to what it, what it, what you're testing for. Isn't really test. You're testing a snippet of something that has, has to be amplified up so that people can, so you can gather enough something as, as Carrie Mullins would, uh, Mullis would, uh, put it, you know, he invented it. He, he understood what it was used for. It, you know, you can, you can gather any kind of information from that that you'd like, 
Um, and he would probably, if he was, if he was still alive, he uh, passed away in 2019. He would have a host to say, a host of things to say about this, and he would certainly have a lot to say about uh, Fauci. It was very, um, let's just say, very convenient, um, un- inconvenient for us as people that uh, he passed away when he did. I, it, it, it's a, it's very much a shame that you know, obviously, you know, he was a a, a unique mind and and had a unique perspective on an outlook on things. Many people realize that, but if he would have been, you know, able to um, like weigh in on why they were using the PCR test, and and of course because he invented it, he or, or certainly developed it, he would uh, he would have a lot to say in in how it's being misused, and and that of course that would run counter to the narrative. But it would be very hard for them to to shout him down because. Um, <laughs> They've, uh, he had the Nobel Prize for it. So um, you can read through this article. I left it in the description. Um, uh, it has its uh, viewpoints on this. I'm not going to pretend that you know it's uh, it's it's without its own viewpoints here. But it's it's interesting that uh, there, there's more and more articles coming out. There's more and more leakage of of what's reality and what's not. So the next thing is going to be, I'm going to let uh, Dave Cullen, I'm going to play a snippet from him. Hopefully you can um, listen to it and, and determine what you think of it. This is regarding Ontario, Canada, which it seems like there may be some pushback there from the police. But uh, I'll let, uh, I'll let uh, Dave Cullen and the people that he's uh, uh, talking about, uh, uh, I think his name's uh, Ford, Premier Ford, who's a cartoon character. So... As I've said before, before, we're going going to know where the land lies during the summer. I would say by July, August time. That will show us the level of vaccine uptake amongst the under 50s. If it's 80% or higher, I can see considerable buy-in to things like vaccine passports, which will marginalise those of us who refuse to comply. If it's 60 to 70%, we've got a real chance of bringing this agenda to a grinding halt. But the general public, and indeed people on our own side will have to hold their nerve and not succumb to the coercive strong-arm tactics to pressure people into submitting to this medical tyranny. If the face mask is a precursor to the vaccine in terms of being a visible indication of acceptance of the narrative amongst the public, then it's hard to see the vaccine uptake being anything other than extremely high. Most people either aren't aware of or aren't bothered by the fact that by taking the jab, they are taking part in the largest clinical trial in human history and an entirely unnecessary one, given the 99.97% recovery rate for the virus. They also seem to be unaware of or unconcerned about the experimental nature of the mRNA gene therapies being sold to them as vaccines. In a time of crisis and during prolonged periods of psychological torture, trauma and stress, It's understandable that a populace would become desperate for any solution that's presented to them and apathetic to the potential dangers and consequences of their actions. So, anyway, let's take a look at this video from Canada, specifically Ontario. I've never shied away from telling you the brutal, honest truth. Never shied away from tough decisions. And today, I'm here to do just that. This sounds like a this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you kind of speech that a politician would give just before they announce that they're going to do something truly awful. My friends, we're losing the battle between the variants and vaccines. 
Translation, we need to take away more of your rights and freedoms. Imagine still thinking that this was about a virus. The pace of our vaccine supply has not kept up with the spread of the new COVID variants. We are on our heels. But if we dig in, remain steadfast, we can turn this around. We're down, but no means are we out. Wow. This just sounds so sincere, doesn't it? The script and delivery are so convincing. Anyway, let's move on just a little bit. We have implemented the strictest measures in all of North America. And the difficult truth is, every public health measure we have left comes with a massive cost to people and their lives. But we have never shied away from doing what's necessary. And it comes down to two, three, three things. Limiting mobility, enforcing the rules, and getting vaccines into arms. Basically, making life as unpleasant as possible until people break down and scream for the vaccine in desperation. A vaccine that, in truth, isn't really a vaccine. And it's also being pushed on the populace by some global organizations and individuals obsessed with the notion that there's too many people on the planet. You know, the likes of Bill Gates, who's previously sterilized women with vaccines in the third world. The rush for the vaccine, in my opinion, is a trap. It sounds like a trap. It looks like a trap. It's probably a trap. I think this is about population reduction on a massive global scale over the next few years. I think we're looking at mass sterilization at the very least, and a genocide. Based on all my research, and you've seen the 120 plus videos I've made on this topic over the past year, the only conclusion that I can come up with is that the obsession with getting everybody vaccinated is meant to sterilize and kill a lot of people over the next several years. Now, most politicians may not even be aware that this is the ultimate agenda because they're just bought and paid for puppets of the globalists. But the globalists know full well what they're doing. It's their plan. The sickness and death that will come from the vaccines over the next few years will, of course, be blamed on the unvaccinated and, of course, new mutant strains of COVID. And as your premier, it falls on me to make the difficult choices. It falls on me to do what's necessary. Oh, you're such a big man. What a hero. It must be so difficult for you to have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Poor you. Having to take away people's fundamental rights and freedoms. It's got to be tough to make these difficult choices. It's not like you're just following the orders from the psychopaths behind this scam or anything. No, you're totally making these decisions on your own initiative. So brave. So effective immediately, we're extending the emergency declaration and prolonging the stay-at-home order province-wide for an additional two weeks, for a total of six weeks. Outdoor gatherings will now be strictly limited to members of your own household only. Anyone who lives alone can join with one other household. We'll be closing all non-essential construction we're restricting all outdoor recreational amenities, such as golf courses, basketball courts, soccer fields, and playgrounds. We're reducing capacity in big box retail even further to 25%. Beginning on Monday, places of worship will be capped at a maximum of 10 people indoors. 
to get ahead of the variants that are plaguing Western Canada beginning Monday. We're setting up checkpoints at all interprovincial borders. We'll be limiting access to border crossings between Ontario and the provinces of Manitoba and Quebec, with exceptions such as work, medical care, or transportation of goods. And we're calling on the federal government to immediately <coughs> tighten up our international borders. Once again, I'm reminded of that scenario planning from the Rockefeller document from 2010, Lockstep, a pandemic that was used to justify absolute state control and authoritarianism. So understand the restrictions will be strongly, strongly enforced because they must be. We know that when they're followed, these measures work. They reduce mobility and they do flatten the curve. They worked so well at flattening the curve that the last 13 months have been the longest two to three weeks in human history. I love the way he sells this bad news to the public, breaking it to them gently, as if it really hurts him to have to say these things. This kind of vibe of desperate times call for desperate measures. But there's an almost parental aspect to this. It's like tough love. Again, this is the love bombing phase of the narcissistic control. We know this because we've seen them work before. What we need now is for everyone to follow these rules. These variants are infecting and killing younger people every day. We need more time to continue vaccinations to priority populations because getting needles in arms will help put this pandemic behind us. Yeah, as you can as you can hear from Dave's uh, commentary and, and obviously what I, I feel about it um, and have stated before, this is all BS. Uh, yeah, uh, it's all about putting needles in arms and uh, making sure we control these variants and we're, you know, the, the fear porn is just being pumped out, you know, to the max to make sure we all, uh, uh, go along to get along or else, you know, there's going to be hell to pay. So basically, uh, there was a martial law order. I don't know if it's being enforced. I'm not in Ontario or how much is, but it, it certainly seems quite, uh, inner, I would say, uh, interesting, uh, that it's it, this has been going on around the world. It's almost like it's almost like a if you look at a bullseye, like a you know if you're playing darts, like each country owns like you know if you think of the 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 twenty points on the thing, each country or each state, uh, it's like they throw a dart throw a dart at the dartboard and say okay it's time to lock down that particular area. There's no efficacy to lockdowns. There really isn't. Florida hasn't been locked down, and Florida has one of the oldest uh, populations. Matter of fact, Florida in 2018, early part of 2018, had a, a severe like a flu spike. When I say flu spike, I mean there was a substantial amount of there was a uptick in amount of deaths that was substantial enough that it, it should have registered in the mainstream media. And I think there was an article too, but nobody panicked over it. But it, it, it seems like uh, those things are okay. So, um, you know, to allow. And this has been, this wasn't the only place it would happen. It also happened in Europe in 2018. So we've had, uh, and, and if you 
measure the magnitudes of this one yes it's a it's a it's a it is a bit more uh laden in there but if lockdowns would have not have been um uh pursued um if this virus would have been allowed to go through the population everybody would have gotten a, a gotten a, a touch of it and if the people would have just gone about their business in a normal manner they were so worried about over flooding the, the the hospitals, but then again, they weren't treating people accordingly. They weren't uh, doing preventative, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine or vitamin D, vitamin um, vitamin C and zinc, uh, vetromycin. They weren't doing those sorts of things. They were uh, they were trying to they were trying to hold. To see, the reason why they needed lockdowns, at least the globalists needed so they could get the vaccine up up and running they wanted to get they wanted to make sure they could get to the vaccine uh, stage so they had to prolong the virus they had to make sure they, they had to make sure there was there was an agenda here from the get-go and anyone who can't see that at this point and and they use uh, or or use the manipulation tactic is like well you're harming other human beings by doing this you know, this is a we're in this together. Yeah, you know, that's been the, that's that that's a socialism, that's a communism uh, ploy that's being techniqued on you to to make you believe that kind of thing. It's quite interesting that uh, when uh, when other people and for example, there's some statistics out there that says that about seventy eight percent of the people who who uh, succumb to this uh, this flu were overweight or obese just pointing that out that of the people that were involved uh, that had the, the most substantial issues with this particular virus happened to be uh, in a health uh, in a state of health that was deteriorated uh, to begin with and that isn't to, that isn't to belittle or to make light of the, the, the that particular condition but it shows that okay for years and years and years, I was told that I shouldn't shouldn't have any say so in what other people's uh, health conditions are. I was told that uh, that I should pay higher insurance rates uh, to provide for those people who have uh, health issues. And it's you know, I'll be the first to admit that you know that's even transferred into my own family. Like um, my mother was a diabetic at the end of her uh, end of her life. Now she wasn't as uh, um, uh, overweight as uh, many others, but she she could have stood to lose ten or fifteen pounds, uh, given her size and, and uh, scenarios at, at certain points of time. So she wasn't she wasn't without her uh, flaws. She just had a very poor diet aspect, and that needed to be addressed. Um, and her care at the end of her life was substantially costly. Uh, on that on that particular point, I can concur with uh, some of the more eugenics based uh, people who are out there, in particular Bill Gates, who who uh, who uh, likes to to pretend that he really cares about all this health stuff, but all he he is uh, he is un he is he pretends to be empathetic about what's going on with people when the reality is he couldn't give two two cares about any of it. He just wants to make money off of it. That's why he's in the vaccine business. That's why he was pumping up to Becky Quick that uh, from CNBC that you know he can get a twenty to one return on investment. It's probably why Warren Buffett gives him thirty one billion dollars to his foundation in order to 
to invest grants in all the medical universities and and all the the vaccine uh, uh, aspects and invest in the Population Control Council, which is also invested in by the Rockefellers and why Bill Gates is basically Rockefeller 2.0 when it comes to the healthcare system. He's just continuing. He's continuing the same line of reasoning that the Rockefeller Rockefellers did when they got involved in health. It's the reason why most people don't spend any time on the the front side of their health, which is you know helping their helping their metabolism through the foods they eat and the minerals and the vitamins and the things that they absolutely necessarily need. People think that uh, when the FDA when the FDA puts a minimal daily requirement on many of these minerals and vitamins that that's all you need and that's all you should be able to get from that's all you should get from your food most of our food is um you know uh, i would call it denutritionized uh, de- in other words there's not a uh they've taken all the nutrients out of our food that's why you should get healthy whole uh, healthy um you should get food from the ground obviously more more so and if you're going to need to eat uh, meat it should be lean it should be from uh, um, farmed from uh, a cattle that's uh, better served there's going to be a higher cost to that there's there's a host of things that can be done with most people's health system that would make them much better uh, better served there may even be some uh, substantial evidence out there that we could we could uh, give people more uh, uh, nutritious backgrounds through you know protein shakes and whatnot you know Obviously, those are processed in, in, in a certain way. Um, it's funny that we don't do a better job of selling that or that uh, those particular nutritional outlets are not uh, um, uh, subject. They're subject to regulation, but yet they're not uh, they're not promoted as uh, widely as they should be. Um, it makes it it's kind of interesting that. Uh, that most people aren't you know, given uh, the right information about how they should uh, go about their their living, and of course they're going to develop bad habits because of the way our, our food food uh, system, our food distribution centers. If you're talking about the big box stores, which of course you know uh, that uh, Premier is trying to control now wants to further control down and. Of course, they want to eliminate religion. That's why they said there's only 10 people allowed into a church services. They've been locking that. There's a video that was out there just recently uh, in Canada. They uh, they tried to do that to a guy, a, 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 actually a Polish uh, a priest or a minister. Um, they had ran off the, the cops and then they came back and they put up a, a they cordoned off his, uh, his uh, particular church. It's just reprehensible what they're trying to do to the, do to people. And there's put it this way, I'm not saying I can't sit there and say that I have a viewpoint of every spot spot or aspect of the world. But from where I sit in Indiana, people are not, you know, we you, you just use visible reality. Are people really passing away due to this, or is it just the worst and most? Uh, I want to say most impacted people are the ones who already have significant illnesses and that can go that can also be attributed to any young uh, uh, um, situations and as far as the variants well the variants are popping up because you've uh, you've uh, turned on and turned on lockdowns and I 
I'm going to hypothesize here that there's probably been some further inter interjection of uh, manufacturing this situation, but we won't know that for certain because in the in the midst of chaos, which is what's been caused over the last year, in the midst of chaos, there's many things that can be could have been introduced that nobody would have been made aware of until it was way too late. In other words, once you've started chaos, nobody gives a damn whether it continues. Uh, it's easy to overlook things, and this is being done. I honestly, what you should have figured out by now is our healthcare professionals are no better off, no better at what they do than the average person is in trying to maintain their own healthcare. You're better served to try to learn up and try to bone up on things that will make your life more beneficial than listening to any doctors. The only thing the medical profession seems to be relatively good at is emergency care. In other words, you have a crisis situation and they can handle that. Or some kind of uh, rehabilitation if they actually want to do that. When it comes to just managing, I would say, uh, general... um, like cancers and heart disease and whatnot, they always go with the most expensive, the most, uh, um, I would say, most evasive procedure possible in order to make money off of it. And vaccines are an invasive procedure. It is because they're shooting stuff, they're shooting chemicals into your body. Um, You know, adjunct, uh, they, there's additives in there in, in your vaccines which you are not made aware of, or if you are made aware of, if you figure out what's in, what's involved in this vaccine or vaccine or gene therapy or however you want to present it to the average population, you'll come to find out that most of this stuff is being um, manipulated and contorted into your body in a way that's not beneficial. So I'm going to move on here to uh, James Corbett. Um, he did a inter- uh, long interview with um, uh, what's his face, Thaddeus Russell, who I don't really know very much about. But since he talked to him for a great deal of time, I think it's important. Uh, there's some few snippets I'm going to play from it. It's a very long interview. I've left the link in the description along with his uh, show notes. So we'll play a little bit. This is this is uh, I'm going to play a couple of parts of it, but I'm going to start with uh, the CIA and how, how he came about his, um, came about his uh, program, his being, becoming a reporter. And you yeah, call, you call, and you and call, you call your work open source intelligence news, right? Now, can you explain that? I think I know what it means, but I would love for you to give a full explanation of what that means. Because I think, I think it's actually like the most important thing to explain about your work. Yeah. I agree. And that's why it is the tagline of my website. And it has been since it was uh, founded in 2007. So when I was first coming up with the idea of starting a website um, in late 2006, early 2007, it was at that time that I was encountering some information. um, And I believe there was a specifically a Washington Post article that I I read at that time that I actually included in the about section on my website way back in the day. It's not there anymore, but it was specifically about the concept of open source intelligence and the fact that the CIA and other intelligence agencies gather the vast majority of their information 
from open sources, not the James Bond sleuthing Hollywood version of intelligence gathering, but by looking at open sources. And back in the day, of course, that was radio, television, newspaper, magazine, kind of print and and broadcast material. But Mm -hmm. in the online age, it's online material. And in fact, probably even more so in the online age than back in the day when they were intercepting Russian radio transmissions or what have you. No, now, Mm -hmm. now you can go online and you can access an incredible amount of information. And I thought, why not apply that in an, in an open source investigation that we can all crowdsource information and put it together and lay out the dots. And rather than sitting there on some sort of high horse and saying, please believe me about this. No, we're, we're in the internet age. I can link you to source documents that, uh, that, that I think back up what I'm saying, but you can go and look for yourself. And that is the very founding ethos and principle that my work is based upon. It was there from the very inception. The first thing I thought when I was thinking about putting together a podcast was, I'm going to have a documentation list. And every time I talk about a document, an article, a video, whatever, I'm going to Mm -hmm. link people to it because why not? Mm -hmm. We're in the internet age. It shouldn't have been a revolutionary idea. But back in 2007, when I started the site, there were still profoundly few people who were doing that. So uh, if, if, if my work does nothing else, I hope inculcating that idea in its in the audience that it is important for people to actually back up what they're saying with sources should be just the basic ground level of the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of agree and that's what I've been doing in each of these podcasts and I I try to do the best I can. I think most people should do that um with that at least at least put a link in there so that people can review and and go through what the person was talking about throughout the the scenario so i'm gonna move forward a little bit in this particular uh uh, i guess you call a podcast so he um james corbett talks about uh, an interesting aspect of our current situation um when you want to look at a on the how people are so i'm not going to quite get to the exact point in his uh is an analysis, but uh, I'll do the best I can. So we'll go from there. You know, I'm no fan either. Um, and I think there's something absolutely inexplicable about someone who would want to wield power over millions of other people. I just don't understand that impulse. Most, I, I don't think I've ever known anybody who has that impulse, right? I mean, it's just a very strange thing to want to manage well, society. Or do you think that? Well, uh, so I tend to locate this in psychopathy. Um, And so I think we have to have an understanding that there are people with a truly different uh, neurology. Their their brains do not function like yours or or mine does. And that they truly do not feel compassion, empathy, etc. And this is a documented scientific phenomenon. People can look into psychopathy to understand how that works. And um, there's... There's obviously there's a lot of debate about these terms and how they're employed, but psychopathy being the actual neurological condition and sociopathy being essentially learned psychopathy, um, people being conditioned into a state of psychopathy um, or or emulating the psychopaths in order to uh, achieve power in in society. And you can look at the work of uh, Philip Zimbardo and others on the Lucifer effect, for example. Um, How do these sort of average, you know, farm boys from the middle of Iowa go out to um, um, uh, Abu Ghraib and and start torturing people? Is it because these are born natural torturing psychopathic people or because they were inculcated into a system which 
essentially allowed that to take place. Um, and does that absolve their personal responsibility, et cetera, et cetera? There are a lot of issues there. But I think there is something to the creation of institutional frameworks that actually inculcate a type of behavior that is anti-human in a lot of mm-hmm. respects. And that, I think that does have to come from people who are fundamentally psycho- psychopathic, but it doesn't have to be forwarded or, or um, made possible only by psychopaths. I think that they, they have cadres of people who are willing to essentially adopt those types of traits. But on a more fundamental level, if you want to look again at narrative, I think there is narrative in so far as, of course, something that you and, and myself and everyone I think can relate to. We all want to think of ourselves as the heroes doing the good thing for humanity, et cetera, et cetera. So how can people who are doing what seem to be profoundly horrible things think of themselves as the good people? Well, they need a narrative for that. And so there has always been a narrative that is essentially a justification for the ruling class. Why do the ruling class exist and why do they have the right to rule over other people? And that narrative has evolved over time back thousands of years ago, literally your rulers were gods. The pharaohs were gods on earth and you literally worship them uh, directly. And as the population sort of, sort of cottoned onto that trick and well, maybe these people aren't actual gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started to get toned down a little. Well, okay, they're not gods. Th- their family was chosen by God to rule over you. It's the divine right of kings, right? Mm-hmm. It's the mandate of heaven. Um, but again, ad- after the Enlightenment and Scientific Revolution and all this, well, that seems a bit hokey. Okay, we can't go with that anymore. No, there's a special thing, the protoplasm that our family has that is passed down from generation to generation. It wasn't, of course, until many decades after this first got forwarded that they started to even understand genes and things like this. But essentially, there's a genetic reason why we deserve to rule over you, oh, you oh. minions. And, uh, and so we will put you in your place. And that, uh, that eugenics philosophy, which was developed formally in the late 19th century by Francis Galton, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's difficult for people in our situation today to understand just how important that science was in the late 19th, early 20th century. The rock star super science of its time, the way climate change is today, was eugenics in the early 20th century. And anyone who was anyone espoused their good eugenical beliefs. Of course, we need to improve the 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 genetic stock, the protoplasm of the, the species and get rid of these vile underclass that keep breeding and keep making more of themselves. That was the profound problem of society. And Unfortunately, the Nazis came along and made that seem a bit icky with all of their, you know, killing people and euthanasia and all that. Okay, all right, we'll have to change it. So it went underground. It became population control. Literally, the American Eugenics Society. So uh, he's speaking to a uh, pretty big concern here that uh, we've had a this uh impact of over the over the thousands of years you know you know when you look back at egyptian culture was based upon you know raw and these gods and that the that uh the the kings of that particular time like ramses the i think ramses the third or or whatnot uh who who procreated with uh hundreds of women and had hundreds of offspring and all that kind of stuff that uh yeah you you were uh there was this uh, godly right, and then it became a divine right by uh, the divine right there, and then, uh, of course, then that uh, altered or transpired into a family, uh, an entire sect of family. So, if you think about the, 
uh, the most uh, probably well-known uh, would be like the British Empire or the British or um, England, England, I should say, not Brit, 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 the Great Britain, uh, the English Empire. So you think about the House of Tudor or, or the different houses that were under that particular auspice. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know everything about uh, uh, the British uh, ruling classes of that time frame, but from the time of of uh, 1066 there on, uh, there was a uh, different uh competing uh shields or or houses and of course at times it, it would be in a, a particular family's uh interest to be in charge and then of course they married across to uh another divine or uh, another uh royalty in France or or somebody they deemed worthy enough to interbreed with so to speak. So from then on out from there once you had the age of enlightenment and then the idea then became, okay, well, uh, there is this a, just, it's just genetic superiority, which, which, which was in, developed in the 1800s, uh, kind of out, out, out of the, you know, uh, Darwinism, you know, survival of the fittest, but, uh, instead of survival of the fittest, we're talking about the fittest, uh, the fittest shall row, the fittest shall rule, uh, the others, the underlings, uh, those that aren't. Uh, so, for example, uh, we know this to this day. If you're uh, if you're a taller gentleman, you're usually uh, uh, in leadership positions. I mean, the, you know, thus the thus the exceptions, the Napoleonic complex that people used to they call it the little guy syndrome, which is just a, a besmirching of somebody based upon their height. Even because Napoleon, I, I think he, I don't even think he was that short. I think he was, you know, five six, five seven. Which I mean, isn't is that's as tall as I am. So I mean, I, I under uh, it's called being underestimated so, sorely because uh, because of your height. Uh, whereas somebody who is six four, it's a it's about a about a presence. So most of like the U.S. presidents, aside from like John Adams or a couple others, uh, were you know at least above average height for for their age. And when I say age, I mean for the time frame in which they uh, lived. Uh, for example, since 1900, I think uh, the average height of most men and most women has uh, moved up a couple inches. So I think the average height and probably. 1900 of in the United States of men was probably five foot seven and now it's more like five foot nine five foot ten I think I'm not going to pretend to know all the current statistics on that but I know it's uh, and that's due to health it's due to obviously longevity a better diet better nutrition that and there's even aspects of that uh on the other side of that fact is like I think North Korea they they say the people in North Korea are uh diminutive comparatively speaking because of poor nutrition and that can be seen around the world I mean if you're if you start off with a poor diet as a kid or not giving get, get, getting the right nutrition you're going to atrophy or your your brain your your body everything the whole mechanism of who you are is more likely to be less than what it would be if you were given the right um, nutritional um, supplements. So we know we are what we eat. We're also that that 
adds to or improves on our on our genetic basis um there isn't there isn't any real um i know there's disagreement out there they you know there's been people that have promoted ideas that you know about uh for example there's a lady who's working in the department of justice i think her name's uh clark who uh was promoting such wackadoodle ideas about uh the melanin in regards to empathy and all kinds of other um mentalities it was almost almost sounds like it sounds like eugenics 2.0 which doesn't surprise me any that uh that uh, somebody like uh biden would hire somebody like that but she has a uh skewed point of view on on a host of things um that shouldn't be allowed or certainly shouldn't be allowed if she's in the civil rights division because that means that she she analyzes and assesses people based upon that fact and probably one of that uh, one of the biggest facts alone um you know like you said the eugenics part of this is 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 thoroughly evil um and we know bill gates is highly tied to this particular um ideology his dad was involved in parent planned parenthood uh ibm uh for example his his mother was involved with ibm i think she sat on the board ibm was tied back to watson watson was tied back to the uh, the Nazis are in Germany. Uh, he was financing that. So there's there's uh, there's always uh, connections that when you start looking at them and what's being said and what's coming out of their mouths that you can you can make some assessments based upon that. Uh, I see Gates as a megalomaniac. Uh, if he could if he could rule the world, I mean he's <laughs> he's he put out there something about blotting out the sun in order to reduce the uh, the temperature of the, uh, the, the world. What does that tell you? He wants to control the whole world. No one would make that, make such an asinine or, um, uh, um, I guess you could say over the top, uh, proclamation as to how we should address such things. And the fact that this guy can say these things and no one seems to push back from the media, he can be taken down very easily by the right media sources. If they would just, put him on the put him on the uh a fryer like they do everybody else it seems kind of reprehensible that our media will will antagonize people with ordinary viewpoints or who at least express them in a, in a normal way compared to somebody like like gates who just because he's a billionaire for example like andrew ross sorkin has uh you know lauded him as you know the most perf- you know most uh, impactful person of the 21st century or whatever he he made that claim on a he was interviewing gates and he said that within like the first 30 seconds of the of the snippet it was on a youtube i I think i actually linked to it in a prior episode so i'm going to see if i can move forward to something else that uh um, corbett was uh talking about i think it's a important to uh, get a uh, a range of things that he ideas that came out of this uh, uh, discussion, and so uh, I think uh, I think that's always a a necessary task of is to try to give you a um, uh, a viewpoint of where this is all coming from and why we're where we're more under this attack. So it's a video, which as I say was about the perfecting of humanity through the state. 
it was going to be the state that was going to essentially guide people into this. And part of that would have to be the state would tell you, you know, oh, oh you're not fit to breed or whatever the case may be. And that, that was an important part of it. I do note with some relish, uh, I believe it was just last year, that um, Planned, Parenthood was, Planned Parenthood was removing Margaret Sanger's name from their building, I believe, mm-hmm. in Manhattan, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I, I did cover it at the time uh, because there was an iota of realization that, oh, perhaps this eugenic ideology, which Sanger was a devout adherent to, might actually be a icky little blemish that we don't want to advertise too much, but she's still a saint on earth. And let's give the Margaret Sanger Award to Hillary Clinton for yeah, I've talked about this. I've talked about this a lot. Uh, Planned Parenthood has denied basically that Sanger was a eugenicist for years and years and years. And on their website for decades, every time you check it, they would have the front page would have the sidebar on it, which was the denial of Sanger as a eugenicist. <laughs> but I mean, just read Pivot of Civilization, her big book, and it's just plain as day, everyone. And I'm sorry, but that's just, just look at the text and I can even send people the text. Email me, I'll send it to you. Um, It's clearly eugenicist. Now, that doesn't mean anything though about my position on Planned Parenthood. I generally think they do a good thing. I don't want them to take government money because I don't want to take anyone to take government money, but you know, I, I'm pro-choice essentially. And that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't discredit the, the pro-choice movement. So there's uh, uh, Mr. Um, Thaddeus Roth. That's his point of view on this, and that's not my point of view. I just want to make that clear. I think uh, being pro-choice, I mean, you it, it gives uh, rise to a, a number of justifications for all kinds of things. I think if he if he would uh, reinvestigate or relook at how people can use that have been using that to justify a host of uh sins i think uh even doctor there's been uh, conversions from doctors who have performed actual abortions who have decided that the this is just something that can't be tolerated in a society and i think that would be a, a good place for him but he's entitled to his viewpoint and i don't use that i'm not using that as a you know, against him per se. Just, I think, you know, that's his, that's his point of view. And I, I disagree with it. So I just want to make that clear that I'm not promoting that idea uh, as my idea, but I allowed him to say it because I think that's important. I'm sure he, I'm sure he has a, you know, a logical construction of that. Um, you know, if, and, and there's a host of, there's always been a host of reasons for that. So, Anyway, I want to move on to I think I'm uh, I'm I'm using Corbett's notes because he links up to all the things that he was talking about. So I'm going to go to uh, a part here that is more inclined to get us to where we're at with the Great Reset, the agenda that's being pushed against us, and how that interacts with uh, uh, the present uh, situation. So just about there. Found overpopulation problem, even as, oh, by the way, it turns out that human fertility is decreasing at an alarming rate. And in fact, you can go and read even in the pages of The Guardian just this past month talking about the end of uh, human fertility by the 2045, according to some scientists, etc. Mm-hmm. I mean, just profound changes that are happening because of these endocrine disrupting uh, chemicals, uh, plastics that are that are uh, polluting our environment right now. Mm-hmm. Real profound environmental problems, but carbon dioxide is the only thing you're allowed to talk about. But anyway, stepping around that 
minefield for the moment. That brings us to the uh, the limits to growth in 1970s, which, as its title right. might imply, was this document about how oh there are limits to growth because look, our, we have only such a finite amount of resources and we're right. running out and we uh, you know we're going to have to find a way to contain the human population, etc. Now, what does that have to do with the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset? Well, as it turns out, at the World, at the World Economic Forum, um, I believe it's second ever. I'll have to double check on that. But one of its very, very early meetings um, was, uh, was attended and co-chaired, and, the, and the, the central keynote speech was delivered by the, uh, the person who was heading the Club of Rome at that time, talking essentially about the limits to growth, etc. This was organized by this shadowy Klaus Schwab, yeah. who was this guy with a lot of degrees who you can find very little about his actual family history and what oh, where did he really? come from and who is he and why did he come to this position of prominence but he started this organization in the 1970s that became known as the world economic uh, uh right. forum and which now seems to be this organization through which all of these world leaders and economists and, and business leaders, um, of course, gather in Davos every year. I'm sure everyone's heard about the gathering in Davos, but now they're launching something called the Great Reset and Prince Charles and John Kerry and all these other people are telling us that uh, we've hit the Great Reset button and there's no going back and humanity is shifting forever. And then you start reading what Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab is writing, of course, mm-hmm. he's a ghostwriter, um, is writing about transhumanism and uh, the, the, we're all going to be transformed and taking brain chips and like actually read his actual writings on this. Don't take conspiracy <laughs> theorist James Corbett for, yeah. word for this. No, no. What he says is 10 times crazier. Exactly. That we are facing the ultimate uh, convergence of our biological and technological and digital identities. And we're going to be, essentially be uploading our consciousness to the, the, the cloud in the future. Just insanity. But this is what is being openly talked about now in the context of this great reset that's we're being told we're changing the social contract, which I don't remember ever signing. But anyway, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Can I can I fi- find a copy of that somewhere so that I can who's who's talking about the changes and alterations to this document that doesn't exist? Oh, that's right. The World Economic Forum, which has appointed itself leaders that is being um, stewarded by people like the Club of Rome talking about the limits to growth and the, the need to curtail the human population. But don't worry your head about that they love you and that's why they're giving you the experimental gene therapy holy christ okay (laughs) i noticed that the world economic forum they pulled it down but they had that video this is about a month ago two months ago fabulous video i was so appreciative that they did that video and i was also just blown away that they would do something like that but they did pull it down and, and it made some sort of apology about it but basically about all the wonderful things that the lockdowns have done across the world which is to make cities quieter i noticed that that was a big one <laughs> like as if we were asking for that um and of course the reduction in greenhouse gas emissions they so they're very excited about all these things that the lockdown has done and they sort of offered it as this you know opportunity you know to 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 change our ways uh, there's no doubt in my mind that there are many, many people who are the kinds of people we've been talking about. You call them sociopaths, psychopaths. I call them politicians. Um, 
<laughs> or people like Klaus Schwab who are sort of politicians and what he would shadow politicians or something like that. Yeah, no, that's an important point. And let's yeah. not elide over that. But that yeah. is an extremely important point. That's I don't right. think that the po political leaders are necessarily the or, or I don't think they are at the capstone of this pyramid of power that seemingly exists. Okay. Um, just because you hold a, a title of president or prime minister doesn't necessarily mean that much as evidenced as we talked earlier by the Italian prime minister and coming out and saying, I had no idea this Operation Gladio even existed. No one told me about it. I guess I wasn't in the loop. So what, what does that say about the actual power of these po politicians who are changed every few years? Talking about, for example, uh, Tragedy and Hope, Carol Quigley, talking about the, the point is to give people a system where they can throw the bums out every four years and nothing will fundamentally change with the agenda that is ongoing. So that implies that, yeah, political leadership is perhaps not the uh, the be-all and end-all in terms of the actual governing power of society. So Klaus Schwab holds no political office, yet seems to be wielding an awful lot of power and authority. Bill Gates holds no political office, but seems to be wielding a lot of power in our society. It is why it is at least alleged that David Rockefeller said, uh, when, when asked, why don't you run for president? He said, I don't want to take a demotion. Yeah. I think that pretty much says it. Yeah. Well, okay, now... So you can gather from that that uh, yeah that the 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 pyramid is inverted in, in certain degrees. But I, I'll even clarify too. Like for example, if you think of Washington D.C., the D.C. establishment has been running our country or trying to run our country, and they run thing. I mean, that goes for the think tanks, that goes for the uh, Council of Foreign Relations, uh, the agencies. And I think we're all very well aware that the CIA has a lot to do with how we uh, transact our foreign policy and how we've uh, interrupted other countries' uh, particular political processes, um, in, in many cases for ill, not good, um, that there's there's a, a number of people that are intertwined in this. They They work for these shadowy organizations. Even our FBI, NSA, uh, the National Security Council, which uh, is formulated to report to the President of the United States, but do they really? Do they really report to the United the President? Do they tell the President everything he needs to know? I mean, we found out in the latter portions of the Trump administration that uh, they were lying to Trump about the troop troop levels they had on the ground in, I think, either Egypt or. Somewhere in the Middle East, which, you know, of course, you know, that's that's been part and parcel to our uh, agenda for the last, well, for the last probably 50 or 60 years. But in particular, the last 20 years across the Middle East, whether it be Libya or Egypt or Israel or Syria or Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan. I mean, you, I, I, I'm just, and I'm not even touching all the all the other subsidiary, uh, Bahrain or, or Qatar or any other any other number of uh, little nation states or places that are occupied by either tin pot dictators or occupied by people that are actually elected by duly elected by their people, irrespective of whether we like them or not. And meanwhile, we're We've been influencing them, and yet they've been getting influenced by China. And China is, you know, part and parcel of the new up-and-comer, uh, new up-and-coming power. Um, 
I'm going to read a little part from a, a book recently published, uh, uh, Political Warfare. Uh, I'll, I'll get to the author's name, but here's a little snippet from it. While the CCP United Front Work Department has functional responsibility for these operations and activity, the PRC, uh, the People's Republic of China, United Front Work, is a task of all CCP agencies and members. Every CCP agency, from the International Liaison Department and the Central Propaganda Department to the Chinese People's Association for Friendship with Foreign Countries, is tasked with engaging in United Front activities, as are all PRC government departments and local authorities. Uh, executives of the China state-owned enterprises are CCP members, and as the CCP increasingly intrudes into the management of joint ventures, it is safe to assume there exists intense PRC business engagement in United Front work. A key element of United Front work is to co-op international organizations. For example, the PRC uses institutions such as the World Health Organization and the International Criminal Police Organization, Interpol, to conduct its political warfare operations. Before the PRC admitted to detaining Interpol President Ming Hagwei in 2018, the U.S. Department of Justice was asked to investigate whether Ming, a former PRC Vice Minister of Public Safety, was abusing his position at Interpol to harass or persecute Chinese dissidents and activists abroad. Concurrently, the WHO has been accused of turning a blind eye to the PRC cover-up of the COVID-19 global pandemic, which has killed nearly 1.2 million people globally as of this writing. The WHO has bowed to the PRC direction by excluding Taiwan from the World Health Assembly during the past few years in violation of its own charter. This is just, you know, a, a, an example. So, the book, um, <clears throat> let me uh, get back to the, uh, is written by Carrie K. Gershanik, um, G-E-R-S-H-A-N-E-C-K is his last name. So, uh, this talks about the political warfare campaign. And this isn't, like I said, every nation state that's on the on the face of the earth um, has some sort of probably intelligence operation or a warfare campaign or an influence campaign. A lot of it's called influence campaign. So everybody's trying to, uh, and uh, one of the headmasters of this particular concept is a, a fellow who passed away a few years ago. Um, and even James Corbett uh, talked about in, in this particular broadcast, uh, Brzezinski, um, who, oh, by the way, happens to be pretty, pretty bit high. Yeah, um, I can't pronounce his first name, Zibinu Brzezinski, which is, uh, um, uh, Mika Brzezinski's, uh, father. And so he died, he was in the Carter administration. Uh, he did foreign policy. He was, uh, he was, uh, he, he along with Kissinger, uh, worked on this uh, new or new world order development. I read a book. I don't know. It mentioned Brzezinski, and it showed a pyramid class of how people, how the United States, and how these states intertwine with it. It was quite a, a quite an interesting um, visual. But I, it's been years. It's been more than a decade. It's been about a decade since I, I remember picking up the book and 
yeah, it was in 2011. It was when my uh, mother was um, going through her illnesses. And uh, I just just remember that. But what I'm trying to get at is that uh, that our, our government is being uh, operated by now corporatists. Uh, Google, uh, Facebook, etc. They've all bought in to a certain kind of alignment with and they are being allowed to do what they do against the the people at large based upon the government's complacency and or run by the or agencies and the legislature one of the things that uh, over the last four to five years uh, unbeknownst to most of us or certainly being run on the sly is that in trying to demonize in, in demonizing trump they were trying to uh, uh, put uh, put uh, barriers to his uh, a, a use use of power, his executive authority. For example, the legislature. That was why they used the media as much as they did. This was a political. This was a uh, um, driven campaign, not only from D.C. but probably even from China, to uh, cordoned off. Uh, Trump's ability to uh, and get policy put through either through Congress or or whatnot, whatever he wanted to do. Uh, there was, you know, they they there was a talk of the the battle in the administration between the globalist and the in the they call them the nationalists, but I would call them call them people that were America first, and the globalists ostensibly won out. Uh, and that includes people like uh, Steven Mnuchin, who was, uh, you know, our treasurer or whatever. And, you know, even people that Trump, unfortunately, he appointed some of the same characters. And whether he did that, uh, whether he did that knowingly or unknowingly, he, he may have been sold a la- by bag of goods by people that were around him. Uh, he has to take he has to take uh, take the hit for that. Uh, whether you agree with, no matter how much you might support the man, or may see him as, um, you know, standing for America, and I, I think he, I think ostensibly he, he would have tried to do the best he could. But when you have the forces aligned against him in terms of the globalist uh, agenda, and you had the billionaires, I mean, Gates absolutely despised Trump, absolutely despised him. Yet, unfortunately, here's the. Here's a key aspect. So when uh, when it came around to this health thing, uh, Gates and uh, Robert Kennedy uh, Jr., who you may you may think he's a uh, he's not all he's cracked up to be, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in this particular scenario. So Kennedy was trying to uh, help uh, uh, okay, what would you say uh, influence health policy, especially towards vaccines, because he's not because he's anti-vax, he isn't evidently, but uh, uh, certainly uh, to be more cautious about the uh, the usage of it because of the uh, underlying characteristics of uh, giving kids uh, vaccines and, and what has been triggered over the last 30 or 40 years, at least in many people's eyes, is that there's been a rise in autism. So anyway, uh, evidently Trump was you know, entertaining uh, that that mechanism between uh, uh, what Kennedy was pre- presenting as an idea and what Bill Gates, who somehow or another got involved in the conversation, and evidently Trump pivoted to Gates. I don't know why. Probably due to the due to the nine uh, due to the 
to the ability that Gates had uh, to influence people like Anthony Fauci and others because the the CDC is aligned with Gates and so is Fauci and so are a host of other, like the FDA, I'm sure, that they probably uh, shouted down or, or per- presented their ideas and Trump went along with it. So Trump can be influenced and Trump probably was influenced in many cases. In other words, he wasn't always his own man and he was being influenced by Pence too even though Pence, uh, Pence is often was, uh, P- Pence was pawned off on him as this good egg, but probably he represented as much of the globalist aspects of society as anything else. So there, therein lies the intrigue with people that you can be the, you can be ostensibly the most powerful man in the world and yet be undercut from all levels. They try to reduce Trump down to a parliamentary, uh, parliamentarian in terms of his ability to run and control this country. Uh, that's the reason why, of course, you know, you had Nancy Pelosi and the the whole uh, legislative branch calling for his impeachment. Now, the Democrats did all the, the squawking, but don't, don't be fooled into believing that the Republicans, and in many cases like Mitch McConnell and others, weren't ostensibly uh, trying to undermine Trump. Uh, we know Paul Ryan is a, a total snake, and he was involved with that. And Paul Ryan was involved with Mike Mike Pence. So there you go. There's the there's this intrigue that's been going on uh, to, and they had to do it in the subtle ways. They did it through the media. They had to do it through um, you know the FBI. Uh, who knows how many conversations were being had behind Trump's back to keep him in the dark and also keep him under under uh, keep him wrapped up in fighting off you know or distracted which didn't take much because that's why they hated his twitter feed so much because direct messaging was something that they didn't want and trump could make make uh, claims or say what was going on but he was being surrounded in you know how much of you know no matter how smart you are no matter how intelligent you are no matter how much you want to do the right thing if you have enough people around you including your own your own family who may or may not be uh always on board with your ideas like his like his daughter like uh, his son-in-law uh who may have the ulterior multi uh, ulterior motives that they aren't expressing even to even to their father or their uh, um, father-in-law, it kind of sp- it speaks volumes about what goes on. And of course, people hated the fact that Trump had his family so close. Of course, they did because the people that were in D.C., including people that were analysts and and uh, historians like Stephen Kochkin, who didn't like uh, Trump, what uh, didn't like Trump having so many uh, of his own people, so to speak, uh, close to him. Um, what else was he supposed to do? He's trying to, he was at, at least ostensibly at the beginning, he was trying to uh, surround himself with people that were actually on board with his his agenda. And then, of course, as time wore on, I think the globalists infiltrated and, and or were sold to him. Like William Barr, for example. William Barr was a straight out snake. And we know he's a snake. He was a snake from the Bush administration. He was implanted but he was he was sold to Trump as this honest broker because uh, he made wrote the right paper and 
decided that that was the right objective. And I'm only bringing them up because that, that just that, that goes to what Corbett was talking about. Who is really running these uh, organizations? Who is really running the world? You know, you have these unelected unelected people that aren't beholden to us, unelected officials in a host of organizations in D.C. and then, of course, abroad, people that we have no, we have very little understanding about. That's what makes the CCP so, um, it's such a, a labyrinth of intrigue. Yeah, we know about Xi, we know about Xi Jinping, Xi Xi Jinping, who is the former CCP uh, uh, general secretary, and there's a host of other people, but we don't know them as people because, well, for one thing, there's a cultural and language barrier, and we seem to have a uh, a DC establishment that has uh, literally overlooked what these people are willing to do in order to gain power and achieve power. They've, uh, I, I, I say it, I say it very bluntly that our DC establishment is asleep at the switch when it comes to the CCP, either by intent, uh, you know, by intentional purposes or just due to their blind stupidity. And and it doesn't help that now that you have a, uh, now you do have a president who is beholden to the CCP and we know that. And you notice how the escalation of, of, uh, cultural changes has has been the hallmark of the first uh, 90 or so days of the Biden administration that should give you pause that you have a uh, a man in charge who's currently trying to uh, terraform the United States into this image of the CCP's uh, you know easiest uh, most willing participant in their their actions you know you have this massive amount of censorship you have that the right is wrong and wrong is right with with regard with respect to the law you have this uh, the uh, demoralization campaign that's going on 24/7 you know cultural norms are being eradicated or erased um, you have a, a scholastic achievement being destroyed oh that's another obviously that's another uh pathway that gates has influenced substantially which should give you great pause these are these are all being driven by you know a and, and we have a corporate structure we have corporations and huge entities like that are cultural icons like major league baseball major league baseball america's national pastimes turned into a ccp hustler it's despicable that we even have to talk about it that way i don't mind that there's I don't care that there's a, a Chinese uh, influence in baseball per se if they if they're playing the game, but I don't like it if they're they're contorting and politically manipulating uh, what's going on in terms of what what these teams do. And the fact that any of these teams are buying into this bullshit makes should make one you know very suspect. I haven't watched a baseball game in many many moons now because I'm not going to uh, give my time and energy to a sport that's uh, that's sold out and this is coming from somebody who wrote a book on the game of baseball so you can imagine how I, how disappointed I am and and how they uh, I, I approach the the current situation and they aren't the only ones the NBA has done that uh, all of Hollywood is sold out to the CCP because of the 
the amount of revenues, the foreign revenues that come from the China. They've been, uh, what do you call it, filtering and or putting a, a positive spins on CC, on uh, on Chinese uh, persons and personage, uh, ignoring the the mass gen- almost massive amount of genocide that went on there under the Mao Zedong uh, situation and how many people there was a minimum 45 million people that were were uh, killed or or starved to death during the great leap forward and then you had the cultural revolution in the mid 60s through the through uh, uh, Mao's uh, death there's just there's just so much bad juju there and the and the and to put this in perspective you know we talk about the civil rights era of the United States of America did we have massive casualty did we have massive death deaths in the United States did we have deaths yes did we have massive deaths no that didn't happen in the 1960s the mass the most massive deaths unfortunately happened in in the Vietnam war but that massive death wasn't didn't happen on domestic soil, and that massive death on in the Vietnam War should have never have occurred. But of course, we had the wrong we had a president that was pushing uh, an objective in Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, to get us into that war, and we we've all come to realize that probably a lot of that had to do with the fact that uh, after Kennedy's assassination, that opened the door for that that particular policy uh, pivot. Uh, because Kennedy wasn't on board with that concept, and that may have uh, that may have added to the in- intrigue that took place. Even though everybody wants to continue to push the the one the lone shooter narrative or the lone lone gunman, uh, I I have very little I have very little faith in that particular situation. Will I ever know the absolute truth? No, of course not. They're going to always kick that can down the road. Even Corbett noticed noted that early on in his uh, uh, summary that uh, uh, regarding the C, the CIA that they released the documents forty or fifty years later, and then people say, "Oh," and they say, "Oh, look, we're being transparent." And then whatever intrigues that are going on at the, in the present, like in the present day, those things will be released forty or fifty years later. This is assuming we have a country in forty or fifty years. Uh, given the, the given the circumstances that are currently at play, uh, if people don't start soon wake up to the situations that are going on, we're not going to have a country. But that's that's just me uh, thinking out loud. So I'm going to end this broadcast. Um, I think uh, I think I've talked about enough things and uh, enough food for thought. Um, once again, I refer I link the references to the things I talked about in the description. I hope uh, you can have a great and enjoyable day, and realize that you know we're we're all in we are all in this together, and that we're we're trying our best to um, make sense out of nonsense, uh, whether it be the lockdowns or the masks, or who's running the who's running the show and who isn't running the show. Uh, I hope uh, each of us can keep our heads on right. Don't fall for the divide and conquer task. Don't d- try to reduce your stress levels because we're going to continue to have uh, these motivated actors at the top end of the uh, psychopathic uh, spectrum. The Gateses, the Schwabs, the Gs of the world who are uh, deploying 
all their political warfare, all their psychological warfare against the not only the United States but the entire Western world and, and, and even ostensibly the entire world itself. Because they want to exploit your resources, they want to take away your freedoms, they want to violate the social contract that's been developed in the Western world for the last 200 years. Imperfectly so, but yet it exists. And we should all be aware of this. And eventually there's going to be a reckoning of some sort. I don't know how that's going to end. I, I pray that all of us will, will uh, endeavor to achieve whatever we can and fight the good fight when, when the time arises. I hope you enjoyed this broadcast. I'll uh, get back to you soon and we'll, we'll leave it there. God bless America. God bless the United States of America. And have a great day.